Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Duong. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chrisanne Morgan. Hello, you Greyhounds. And today we're discussing Season 3, Episode 8, We'll Never Have Paris. With their new total football strategy in full swing, Richmond goes on a run. But with Michelle and Jake in town, Ted seems like he's about to become undone. Jack shows her true colors, while Nate can't seem to decide on his. So in addition to the episode, there was a lot of discourse this week. For instance, there was a piece by David Sims in The Atlantic entitled, Ted Lasso Has Lost His Way. From a fan perspective, this episode is currently rating 6.6 on IMDb, which is the lowest rated Ted Lasso episode ever. But on a more positive note, we have a new segment. But first, let's get into the episode. I have a question about the episode, and that is... Will George ever stop being a twat? Will the son ever stop being the opposite of clever? I guess that's a no. Heartbreaking to see Ted's face, though. Oh, I mean, having your ex move on is really hard, but then having to interact with your ex and their new partner for the sake of your kid's happiness is next level tough. So I just want to give big ups to our main man, our main mustachioed man for just showing up and being so nice. And we're so lucky to have Ted as a dad. So one of the questions I was thinking when I was watching was when he said it was nice to re-meet you, Dr. Jacob. Do you think he actually meant that? I kind of think it's just a platitude that people say, nice to re-meet you. Did you think he was glad? I mean, he is Ted, of course, but come on. Definitely not the same level, but in 103, when he has dinner with Trent and then he's talking about like how he enjoyed spending time with him and Trent's like, oh my god, you actually mean that. So that's why I wasn't sure. Trent is different though. Trent didn't bend his ethics to do and be where he was that day. And I just think, I kind of love it though. Like it is such a reminder that Dr. Jacob was their marriage counselor. And I kind of love that Ted said that because they should be confronted with that. And I think Jake should definitely question his own ethics and morals for getting involved with a patient. I think- one of the telling exchanges related to that was when Ted asked Henry, does Dr. Jacob ever hang out TV time with you? And Henry's like, who is that? So he can't even tell the kid he's a doctor because of how fucked up the relationship started. So, yeah. Yeah, how do you explain that one to your child? How did you meet? My, my take is that Jake may not stick around for much longer either. Not that I think Ted and Michelle are going to get back together, but... It's so interesting seeing how out of tune Jake seems with Michelle and how in tune Ted still seems with her. You can feel the overlaid former intimacy that Ted and Michelle had in their lives because they have common ground. You know, they raised a kid together and that definitely is quite a connection. And Jake seemed just a little bit awkward in a way that Ted didn't. Ted has a green matchbook in his pocket, but no coins for the for the pinball machine. It's weird. As a Ted Becker shipper, do you think I'd be happy when I saw the green matchbook? But then everyone that night got a green matchbook, so like shouldn't read too much into it yet. Well, Ted's carrying it with him, and you know, intentionality. I'm always gonna look for Ted Becca signs along the way. I just am. And I think May may have said my favorite line that she's ever said, which was nothing is impossible. Just the way that she said it. She's such a treasure that May. 
which is fitting because Ted once said, "You say impossible, but all I hear is I'm possible." I have another question about the episode. <laughs> How many times are they going to call back the one big piece of cereal, and why doesn't Ted get different cereal at this point? I mean, when he moved in, it was just there, but now he gets to choose. I, I understand they don't have great cereal selections in the UK like we do in the states, but you don't have to exist on shredded wheat for breakfast, my friend. Not to sound like a hater, but maybe Ted's palate is just not that discerning. I mean, like Yankee Doodle Burger Bar, and he went and it was like fucking two point nine stars. You know, we are creatures of habit. That's true. I just want Ted to branch out. You know, maybe some Count Chocula along the way, Raisin Bran, granola. But I do enjoy that they called back that piece of cereal, which they did one other time as well. But you know, I'm always gonna love the callbacks. So taking the first crack at trying to help Ted with his latest issues with Michelle is the Diamond Dogs with a new member. I love that Trent is a new Diamond Dog. I think Jeremy Swift is always hilarious. And I have a suggestion for Higgins: eat a banana and hydrate. You shouldn't be having cramps well into the night just for running up and down a flight of stairs. Come on, buddy. I'm guessing he didn't quote unquote talk to a hundred people this time. Yeah, he he made a beeline right for the dogs. There was a great tweet that called Trent a diamond dork. Oh, <laughs> I love that he's their dork. It's a very cute callback to last week for sure. One of my predictions this season was that Roy would join the Diamond Dogs, and I'm getting a little worried since there's only four episodes left. But he did kind of involuntarily, unofficially participate. So maybe soon. I think that Roy is a begrudging member. I mean, he never fully—he didn't take off this time. He was there. He was still participating in the conversation. He just refuses to bark or to howl. Which is, of course, ironic since he probably has the biggest bark out of all of them. He's the big dog. He's a member. He's trying to fight it, but he's a member in my heart anyway. So the era of soft Rebecca has arrived. We got our biscuits back. Ted brought her biscuits. And do you remember last week when I was asking what all of the pink was about? Well, I realized when we didn't have any biscuits with the boss, with Ted and Rebecca face to face, we got little pops of biscuit box pink in other episodes. And I don't know if that's official, but I kind of like to think that that's the reason that we saw little pops of pink in other episodes that didn't have biscuits with the boss time. So is it just me, or is Ted maybe a touch misguided in wanting to hire a private investigator? I mean, I wonder what Dr. Sharon would say about this. You know, where is Dr. Sharon when you need her? I do like that Rebecca was trying to steer him away initially when he asked her to hire her private investigator. But come on, Ted. I'm not sure if it was just me, but I was kind of hoping she jokingly called Higgins. <laughs> I also love the way Rebecca didn't initially just say that she got engaged in Paris and that she was telling Ted all of the other things that people could do in Paris. And you know what? It's it's funny too because Jake in the episode he just seems like such a tourist that who knows if he actually spent enough time paying attention to M Michelle on their Paris trip because he was all about taking selfies and just kind of doing all the the nerdy travel stuff. So I guess that remains to be seen. Well, when Ted asked her about the trip, she did only respond with that it was all right. Ted responded with, "Oh yes, the city of all rights." which I thought was a hilarious pun on the City of Lights. 
But yeah, it didn't seem like she was either not telling Ted she had such a great time to spare his feelings or she was just kind of nonplussed about the trip. I like to think it's the latter. Well, Henry was definitely nonplussed with the fist bump. And she handed Jake the backpack instead of giving him a kiss or a hug getting into the taxi. So I enjoyed that very much. You have to love a friend that's going to give it to you straight. When Rebecca tells Ted that his time with Michelle in that regard is over, but his time with Henry isn't, and to go spend time with his kid instead of fretting about Michelle, that's a solid friend right there. Would you be a friend that would tell somebody that, Gavin? If I get to alliterate my swearing with flying fuck, then fuck yeah. Nice. Are you going for the award this week? I like to think I'm in contention every week, but I feel it's not great luck to nominate myself. So why do you think she corrected him on every single thing in that phone conversation, except for mercy buckets? To which he actually replied, Darianne. I think that was just to highlight all of Ted's silliness, the Plaza Athene, Plaza Anfernee. <laughs> I mean, I think it was just a, a counterpoint to Ted's silliness, really. There are a lot of Ted jokes this episode. I don't think they're singing yesterday. Henry even came out with one, so the long and winding road. Which earned the highly prestigious Beard Nod of Approval. And how great was Beard in explaining the story of Hey Jude to Henry? That was so good. I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, that's such a great song. And you have to sing to it. I just, I thought it was a, a sweet moment. Beard is a very compassionate, sweet human being. And we're getting to see that more and more. Even though some of his recommendations for Henry's day off were <laughs> a little off color. But pretty on brand for Beard. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. You actually took the words out of my mouth for once. Revenge. <laughs> Fight forward, not back, Kevin. Summing the whole Ted and Michelle up thing for me, though, I love how their interactions did that delicate dance between their newfound boundaries with the intimacy that they used to share. And I feel the way that it was so tenderly portrayed by Andrea Anders and Jason was really powerful to watch. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what they showed us. And I thought it was a really lovely scene. So what do you think that whole thing was supposed to mean when he was holding onto the bag for way too long? Well, he was fully checking out her left hand to see if there was an engagement ring on it. And he almost said, he said, you, and then he stopped himself and just said, oh, I'm just screwing around. But oh yeah, he was doing the full, the full reconnaissance mission. Some people have said to me that they thought maybe she was just hiding it or she would tell Ted separately, but I don't think Jake asked her to marry him. It's too early for one. And she just kind of seemed like, eh, it was okay. I feel like Paris probably gets built up to be this completely beautiful, wonderful, romantic place. And then, you know, if you don't have that whirlwind romantic trip to Paris, then maybe it's a little bit disappointing, especially if Michelle's, you know, favorite movie was French Kiss and she watched Sex and the City and really loved different spots and had been talking about it with Ted for a while as he seemed to kind of impart in his conversation with Rebecca. I just feel like Jake and Michelle kind of don't really match and in my experience, you never really kind of end up with the, uh, with the rebound person. So again, not that I'm hoping that Michelle and Ted get back together and I don't really see that happening, but I mean, you and I have a friend who really wants them to get back together, our friend Tim, but they don't seem to have a lot of chemistry in person, you know, to my eye, but 
I just don't want Michelle to end up with Jake. That's just it. I'm anti. I'm also going to give our girl, Rebecca, some props for not actually telling Ted what the private investigator found out, if anything. I thought that was a, a very cool move on her part, just to get him to focus back on Henry and not actually tell him. Because really, as much as you think you want to know about the nitty gritty of your ex's new relationship, you don't. You just don't want to know. It's, it's far better to not know. Ignorance is bliss. Indeed it is. So interestingly enough, even though I really feel like Jason and Andrea nailed the Ted and Michelle scene with their connection, they feel like friends. That's part of the reason I don't want Ted and Michelle to get back together. You don't feel that the entire series, really, I feel like the connection between them is there and they're very friendly and familiar with one another. And obviously they have history, but you don't feel that like deep emotional love between them. I don't feel like they have that romantic pull. I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? Do you see them having any sort of romantic pull towards one another? Well, Kristen, it's interesting that you bring that up because at the season three premiere, Andrea Anders explained how she got her role on Ted Lasso. And it was because she did a chemistry read with Jason in a movie some years back called Hall Pass. And she didn't get the part. So maybe that's why. She failed the chemistry test with Jason, huh? So now she's the ex-wife. Exactly. That makes sense to me. I mean, I feel like he had more chemistry with Keely when he first met her than he has with Michelle. Honestly, those first couple episodes, I was so scared that was going to happen. It's like, please don't do this shit. Please don't do this shit. And luckily, they did not. I'm glad I'm not the only one who spotted that. Everybody spotted it, I'm sure, though. I feel like not everyone who spotted it would want to admit it, though. That would be love's toughest shape. That would be uh, a love dodecahedron for season one. So speaking of Keeley, I am still not a fan of Jack and Keeley. I know I seem like a hater today, you guys. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be, but I don't think I'm alone in this though, Kevin, am I? I, I, I feel like this was Jack and we got to see Jack's true colors. Thank you for calling back to my intro. Of course, I'm here for you. I just, I have been waiting for Jack to just show who she really is so that we can see beyond the love bombing. I mean, Love bombing aside, Jack hasn't truly done anything horrible, but I knew that bubbling under the surface there somewhere was something nefarious, and I'm not wrong. Also, as an American, I had to Google what Harvey Nicks was, which is actually a UK-based luxury department store, Harvey Nichols. So that was something I learned, and I did love the little pretty woman polo callback to Julia Roberts' famous brown and white polka-dotted dress. It's t really too bad, though, that Jack ended up being more like Stucky instead of Edward Lewis. Stucky is the Jason Alexander character, and Edward Lewis is the Richard Gere character. We got a full-on Stucky on our hands. To your question earlier about how people feel, when I posted my meme today about Jack hopefully hitting the road and never coming back, I think it was almost unanimous that people do not want her back. Yeah, I'm not sad to see the trio of interlopers be gone. And I'll get into more of that later on in the episode because I know we have a discussion point about it, but I'm glad. And you know, when you're in a situation that Keely was in and having somebody say to you, I'll take care of it, it's like the best thing you can hear from somebody who actually wants to do something about it. Given the fact that Keely is a publicist, you'd think Keely would have some idea of kind of how to handle it, which was surprising to me that even though that's technically in her wheelhouse, 
she seemed so lost about the best course of action to take. But man, when Jack said, I'll take care of it, and then screwed the pooch in 17 different ways, it was like, okay, all right, we were expecting it. And the other shoe has dropped and here we are because it's the fucking internet. Another callback. What do you think about the insights we got into Barbara? A, that she has a soft side that we got to see when she delivered Jack's statement to Keely, and that she's a party animal. Those are unexpected. I would like to see a little bit more of Barbara. She is one of the newcomers that I actually kind of enjoy. So when Jack said, I tried to pick the most sensitive, empathetic person I know, maybe that had some truth to it. It actually did. I mean, it was a funny joke in the moment because of how Barbara has been, but I saw a glimmer of humanity. And then another reason why it could be true is having seen Jack's true colors, maybe that is literally the most sensitive, empathetic person that Jack knows. It's possible. Here's my question about Keely. Does it seem like she's not really doing a lot of work over at KJPR? It doesn't seem like she's ever really packed or working on anything specifically. And wasn't her busy packed schedule the reason she couldn't go on the trip with Roy and that they separated? But it doesn't seem like she's ever working. It seems like she spends a lot of time with Jack and she goes to lunch with Rebecca a lot, but she's definitely not working in an insane schedule at all. Chrisanne, you don't know how long I've been waiting for you to put on your critic's hat. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, this is the first Ted Lasso episode that you don't like? No, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that this is the first one that I'm actually applying a more critical eye to. I mean, I know that I gush about Ted Lasso a lot. So much so that everybody's probably a little tired of my one note take on everything. But I have thoughts about this episode for sure. And when I share them with you, get ready, gird your loins. Are you ready for some bars? I'm ready. Bring them on. So to your point about Keely not working enough, I thought her storyline was supposed to be about Keely being the boss, but it was more about Keely banging her boss. It's so true. Listen, I really do like that they highlighted this whole situation, okay? Like, there's part of me that's been feeling like this is a very special episode of Ted Lasso in certain ways because they keep doing this. And it was a little clunky, but I have to say, as a woman, it means a lot to me that they're calling out the whole idea that we need to restructure society so that women aren't constantly sexualized while simultaneously being crucified for being sexual, right? I love that Keely stuck to her guns. I love that they presented that. Like, we don't, we don't have to apologize for being sexual. We don't. We don't have to do that. And we don't need to hide. And even though it's not ideal to have something stolen from you and publicized in such an awful way, it's also nobody's right to say you should feel ashamed of yourself for doing that. No. You should feel ashamed of yourself for watching it and the hackers for putting it online, which is the real crime. And I'm so, so, so glad that they called that out. And I feel bad for anybody who has had that happen to them. But my God, being a woman comes with so many arbitrary rules. And I really do wish that we can get to a place in society that doesn't crucify us for being what you say you want from us. This reminds me of Ellie Jane Taylor's epic rant on BBC when she kind of said what you said, but listed every single way where women have all these double standards. And like you're saying, they're sexualized, but criticized for being sexual and then like criticized for taking maternity leave, not taking maternity leave. So yeah, I'll definitely link in the show notes, but 
probably one of the most epic things ever. I love her for that. And we need to start making it normalized. So I don't know if you notice this, Kevin. I don't mean to move on from the woman issues. I love that they were made. And I noticed when Jack was on the phone and Keely was waiting for Jack to get off the phone with George, probably a lawyer or a publicist, that she was watching Sex in the City. And it was the episode where Carrie gets broken up on a post-it note and they're talking about all their different crazy breakups. I was so hoping in that moment that what I wanted was going to happen and it happened. So a couple of big things to discuss about that whole hacking situation thing. One, I'm not sure if flex is the right word, but I would say that other Apple TV shows that don't have the pedigree of Ted Lasso probably wouldn't be able to do the storyline because coincidentally, the most probably infamous incident of hacking photos and stuff was back in 2014 when a bunch of celebrities had their iCloud accounts hacked, which of course run by Apple. And second thing, the scene where the guys discuss the whole situation, finding out about the hacking and then deciding to delete all the photos, that got quite a bit of criticism, especially from a lot of people who haven't seen the show. What are your thoughts about that? I thought that scene in particular was a little ham-handed, a little clunky, a little awkward. Felt like, I mean, I loved seeing all the players and I loved that some of them that you never see speak had some lines and I really liked that. I just thought it was a little bit overboard. Like, I don't feel like they needed to extend that scene for as long as it was extended for, despite the fact that I love seeing the players say stuff. I would like more of that. Like, I would have preferred that to some other things that they chose to do this season. I would agree with you that the execution wasn't quite there, but in terms of the content itself, I felt that generally it was fine. Like, you had people that were informed about the situation and, I guess, quote-unquote, the best perspectives on it and others that were not. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like the voices of the public, right? It felt like kind of a general overview of what people think and feel about that particular kind of issue when you break up with someone and deleting private photos. That's what it felt like to me, and I was like, okay, I guess we're doing that. I guess what bothered me more than anything was how easily everyone just complied. When you're told by as Isaac McAdoo to delete stuff off your phone, you comply. He's the boss man. I was really surprised that Richard complied. Growing up as a hetero male, one of like the common fantasies is like having a threesome with like twins, but isn't that technically incest? That's what I never understood. Yeah, I never really thought about it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. That's totally incest. But honestly, maybe the most troubling thing out of that whole scene was when Isaac confronted Colin, because if you haven't seen the description for next week's episode, it says that their quote-unquote friendship will be tested. Not feeling great about that. Well, what human being adult goes up to another adult and rips their phone out of their hands? Like, that was just out of pocket. But I like to think that Isaac was like, okay, and maybe they'll talk about it because they're best friends, but... Isaac might just really feel betrayed because Colin never told him who he was, right? Because they're really close. So I wonder if we'll get to see that. I hope that's where they're taking us. To defend Colin that front, earlier this season, Isaac did make a homophobic joke. So you could see why he probably didn't want to tell him the truth. Of course. Yeah, I don't have any problem with people coming out at their own pace right? You can't really dictate that. I'm just thinking about 
how it might be having, you know, a friend who didn't tell you who they really are, but it is a hundred percent understandable for Colin not to have said anything to Isaac based on their situation and who they are. And you can't tell somebody they should or should not come out and when they should or should not come out. You just can't do that. So as for how Keeley's former flames handled the news, I think I've seen some split takes on Roy as well. One, why the fuck would he say that? But two, Roy is pretty insecure. So how do you feel, Kristen? It broke my heart a little to see Roy back in his insecure place, being insecure about Jamie and asking Keely that question. Because again, as I said earlier, you only think you want to know about your ex's nitty gritty. You don't really want to know. Not knowing is better. I promise you, Roy. Jamie? Sweet Jamie. He's finally accountable. Our Jamie has grown up. Seeing him show up at her door and being so sincere and apologizing was just chef's kiss. With no agenda either. With no agenda, no squirrel emoji. So in the meme I posted about Jack leaving, there were quite a few people who seem to be shipping Keely and Jamie now. So I'm not sure if that speaks to more about the growth Jamie has this season or the regression that Roy has had. What do you think? Yeah, I'm noticing people shipping Jamie and Keely again because really he's everything that she kind of didn't really know she wanted but she wanted which we thought Roy was back in season one and two so yeah Roy is regressed Jamie is growing it's an interesting juxtaposition and you know what I'll just be honest and say what I'm a little confused by it you know like okay just to have Jamie come forward doesn't mean we need to send Roy back but that's what's going on. And then others have said that based on everything Keely's gone through, does it actually make the most sense for her if she ends up by herself at the end rather than being defined by a relationship, as Ted said? I think that would be a fine choice. I still love Keely and Roy together and I loved them together, but I kind of wonder if that's what's going to happen. Seems like it might be where they're going with it. I, I don't love that. But I'll wait for the writers to gift me with a storyline that I can smile about. Like we said here last week, Roy has been on quite the sadistic streak, so it feels like he's not even in the same place anymore as when they broke up at the beginning of the season. Roy has definitely gone to the dark side. If he refuses to be a part of the Diamond Dogs and he doesn't have Keely and we're not seeing him with Phoebe, what's to keep him from going to that dark place? It reminds me of when he told Phoebe that he was afraid that Phoebe was just like seeing the worst of him. And then she's like, no, I'm the best of you. But I kind of feel like without Phoebe and without Keely, we are seeing the worst of Roy. And that also goes to show you that you can be the unevolved version of yourself and still grow through a relationship that you don't need to be a certain level of perfect to be in a relationship. You can actually just show up the way that you are. And some people really bring out the best in you, which I think Keely did for Roy. And I think vice versa, because he was so strong and steadfast. I don't love where they've taken Roy to. Yeah, I was going to save this for the discourse discussion later, but especially after the Chelsea episode, when he revealed why he left Chelsea and metaphorically left Keely, I thought we were going to get a deeper look into what really drives Roy, but instead we're just, like I said, seeing the worst of him. And he's almost been relegated to like a supporting character. He just throws in some 
witty lines here and there. There's like not an actual story for him. He's like he's helping Jamie, but we're not just seeing Roy on his own with his stuff. That's so true. And I have more thoughts about that later as well. Chrisanne, what do you call it when the manager of West Ham can't decide whether to be good or evil? I don't know, Kevin. What do you call it? He's alternating. <laughs> He's alternating. So we were going to have a discussion about this last week, but due to, let's call it technical difficulties, it didn't make the episode. But since we're here again, we'll have it. The Nate arc's been kind of bothering me too. When I was searching for something else, so kind of random, but a couple weeks ago, some of the cast went to a West Ham Arsenal game. And when I was trying to search for the images, instead it showed me articles of Ted Lasso on West Ham and Nate. And one of them was from Screen Rant. And they said that they haven't shown Nate to be enough of a villain yet to get redemption. And I think that kind of surfaced in this episode. And it goes back to how I started this segment. He's doesn't kind of know whether to be like, quote unquote, good or evil. And I think an issue with that is the pacing of his arc. Like, we haven't seen him interact with Rupert since almost a quarter of the season ago. So it almost kind of took me by surprise that he ended up caving into Rupert. Because like, the past few episodes where we have seen Nate, he's been like this super wholesome guy that we once knew. So... I agree with you, but I don't feel like he caved to Rupert. I feel like we see Nate becoming the person situationally that he needs to be in order to be successful or survive, as the case may be, in certain situations. And so I feel like when he had a second thought about sending the text to Rupert, thinking that Ted showing up was funny, and clearly he wasn't bothered by Ted showing up, but he kind of had a little smile on his face. I feel like he was just doing that. Because Rupert very clearly showed him that if he showed any emotion or anything other than that killer instinct, he was no longer on Rupert's good side. And you're right, we haven't seen it. And we also haven't seen Nate descend fully into villainy. He had a very short-lived villain arc. Like he was literally just a wanker in the season premiere when he said, oh, because there's no 21st. But like beyond that, he really hasn't done anything that bad. I can't speak for the entire fan base, but I definitely felt that he was going to be more of an antagonist this season. I agree with you. I really did expect them to make him a little bit more evil. But with somebody like Rupert soaking up all of the assholery and all of the wrongdoing, there's really not much more of a need. But to me, Nate's arc was really more of a kid who's growing up and going through adolescence and differentiating themselves from their parents, which is kind of what happened with Ted. I mean, it's kind of textbook parenting, but I like that Nate's not an out and out awful guy. And I like that Nate truly in his heart is turning out to be somebody who is a lot nicer than, you know, previously thought. He's also growing up a little bit. He's experiencing some new things. So I feel like you're right. We didn't see much villainy, but I also feel like maybe Nate didn't have to, maybe Nate's rock bottom was ripping up the believe sign and, and having it out with Ted. I really feel like that was kind of his tipping point. Do we really need Nate to be more evil or do you think he can just start to come back? Well, like I said, I definitely expected him to be more evil, but this is one of the tough things about, I guess, being critical is like how much of it is the creator's not doing what I expected versus them not actually doing quote-unquote 
well. I've been thinking a lot about that too. I think it goes back again to what we're going to discuss in a little bit about what they've done with this season. But really, with Nate, you see him on the pitch, you see him kind of pleasantly looking at his phone, seeing Richmond on the rise. And then when Ted and Beard and Henry are in the stands, he looks kind of happy, like his dad finally showed up to one of his games. And, you know, really, all he's looking for is Ted to support him and Ted to be there for him in a way that his own dad wasn't. And so I feel like Ted's going to be who Ted is. And I hope that they get to have their come to Jesus talk where they actually have it out and Nate apologizes, but really he just wants Ted to love him. And I feel like that never changed. It's just that he doesn't have the backbone to not be influenced by other people, which is why I feel like he got so negative in the first place because that was fully Rupert's influence. Well, to just kind of go back to expectations, I don't think I or anyone who thought Nate would be a bigger antagonist was wrong in that regard. Because as you'll remember, we had a whole episode talking about one fucking photo and the photo was Nate staring down Ted. So if that's the first photo you release, that kind of implies something. And then when you don't kind of go down that road, then people wonder. Yeah, we expected a full on showdown, but we didn't get a showdown. I mean, if the show is based on kindness, maybe you don't need it. Maybe people can evolve through things and you don't have to go at each other. You know, obviously we know Ted is the guy who is going to forgive people, which he's done. That's happening here. We're seeing the Ted influence here. I'm not convinced that Nate needed to be as big of a villain as, as we all expected him to be. I do want them face to face. And I do want Nate to apologize and to acknowledge. And oh, poor Nate. Lovehounds, he misses his old crew so much. I mean, come on. The Lovehounds was so sad. It made me sad, but it was also very, it was cute. I haven't had that much secondhand embarrassment since I watched the movie You People. Yeah, it was a little cringy. A lot cringy. And I wonder, was Nate being humble or... Was he just kind of focused on trying to be good enough when, when Jade told him to enjoy his wins and he said, I'm already working on the next one. Like he just wants Ted's attention so much. So I'm not sure if he was being humble because we're not sure that he's entirely humble yet. Or is he? And he's coming back and he's getting ready to have his epiphany. I think he was just being honest. Like he seems like the guy that's very focused, very driven on his goals and it's like the cliche in sports, onto the next match, onto the next game, right? I do love how authentic Jade was. I think it was sweet. I, I love their romantic unfoldment. I think it's really lovely. And I love that Nate is somebody that, that loves him or is getting to love him. I thought that was all really lovely. And I hope Nate can learn from Jade's authenticity to just be himself and just own who he is and what he is and get comfortable. You know, because then he'll be able to step fully into himself and take accountability for his actions and make amends with Ted. My favorite thing about Jade is she's never shy to throw in shade, even when she's trying to be sweet. Like how she said, you know, if you're into labels. It was very smooth the way she did that. I love Jade. I've always loved Jade. I think she's great. So as we mentioned at the outset, there's been a lot of blowback for this episode with the piece entitled Ted Lasso's Lost His Way, 
and then it being the lowest ever rated episode on IMDb for the Ted Lasso series. There are also a lot of dissenters on Twitter and even Instagram, which is usually pretty jolly, had its surprisingly fair share of critics as well. I read the article about whether or not Ted Lasso has lost its way. And I'll be honest with you, I agree with it in a lot of different ways. Because for me, I can remember marveling at the economy of words and plot and the really deft way that they would unfold each episode when the show was still clocking in at 30 minutes. I feel like that framework necessitates telling the story in very clear ways without meandering into potentially unnecessary storylines like we've seen this season. But for me, I wish they had created more episodes instead of loading some of the episodes that we've seen in the season. I feel like instead of having Shandy, Zava, and Jack, I really wish that they have delved into the Keely and Roy situation, had them actually deal with some things. And I feel like some of the important things that they went through, like Colin's coming out and the issue that Keely's dealing with this week, they still could have focused on all of the things that they covered with those three characters coming in without having those characters. I mean, I'm always going to want more Ted Lasso, but I feel like where they kind of diffused the storyline and didn't go deeper into the areas that I wanted with the core group of players that they already have, they diffused it in such a way that it didn't have a payoff, really. And I do miss those lean days when the show worked really hard to tell poignant stories on a fast timeline. I feel like they're getting back on track. I think they lost their way a little bit, but because I'm Richmond till I die, my loyalty hasn't wavered. But I did have something to say to the, the guy who authored the article because he wrote that somehow the show was, was generating laughs while dodging conflict. And I'm like, when did they dodge conflict ever? Which show are you watching, sir? I mean, I have questions for many of the critics out there. I do feel like he's mostly right. I do feel like they, the show has absolutely strayed away from its core. It's strayed away from its original formulation into this different thing this season. And I don't hate it, but I don't love it as much as I loved season one and two. And I really hope they get back on track. I really hope they bring back more of what we love so much. I mean, we don't really need an after-school special every week because I just really want to lose myself in comedy. And this episode for me particularly wasn't laugh out loud. It had some clever and funny things that I laughed at, but it didn't have the bust a gut kind of belly laugh that I'm used to. Are you surprised that I feel this way, Kevin? Or did you expect me to say this? To quote Ted, Oh, you're being serious? I am so serious. When probably the top Ted Vangelist herself, Chrisanne Morgan, who has converted, what, maybe like 20, 30 people to Ted Lasso now? More than that. I've lost count at this point. And I am a Ted Vangelist. It's absolutely true. When she doesn't love the show as much as she used to, then maybe there is something a bit off. To what you said earlier about all the other characters... That was my main criticism when they had the Zava storyline. Like, there are so many guys on the team that we could learn so much more about, but we just had them f fucking drooling over Zava for like two, three episodes. What was the value in that? Yeah, like, sure, we got the brilliant bromance of Jamie and Roy, but to Chrisanne's point, we also could have had that without Zava. Ted said in season one, 
Jamie's the most talented player he ever, he's ever seen. When Richmond gets off on a bad start, then Ted just brings that up and Roy comes in. Boom, bada, bing. They really didn't need to bring us those three superfluous characters. I'm a little sad about it, actually. If this is the swan song and they're wrapping it up, I feel like we didn't need all of that. Like, let's get to the meat of what's really happening with the core folks that make Ted Lasso so amazing. And they had such a winning formula over season one and season two. And I feel like loosening that up just kind of let them meander around into areas that we didn't really need. There was no payoff for any of those extra storylines. Okay, and then we'll address the other characters. Shandy, like I made the joke earlier, we've seen more Keely banging her boss than being a boss. Like within the actual working dynamics, we should be seeing her like taking on like all these cool new projects and clients, but that didn't happen. And then as for Jack, attentive viewers knew that Keely was literally into Rebecca, so we knew she liked women, so that's not really new. And to what I said earlier about Roy regressing, it just felt like keeping them apart from each other for two-thirds of the season hasn't really done anything for either of them. It kind of feels like, I mean, and honestly, it's easier to look in the rear view and see how clear it is. And I don't know if they consider this, but they could have had Jamie and Roy become buddies and have a bromance, even if he was still with Keely. I feel like Keely actually did more work when she was at Richmond than she has done in all of season three, despite owning her own company. I just don't get it. And I am disappointed. And it makes me a little bit sad, especially if this, if we only have four more episodes, I feel like they kind of squandered the last, last season. So for those of you who aren't up on slang, there's a phrase called no skips and it's used generally for an album where every song is a banger. You don't skip any of the songs, hence no skips. Honestly, for season three, some of the scenes I would probably skip. Like most of the scenes at KJPR, I'm not sure if I really want to watch those again. And I think it's pretty damning that for me at least, the most enjoyable parts about that whole universe is Barbara. Which, sure, she's funny, but it's centered around Keely. Keely should be the most enjoyable part, but she wasn't for a variety of reasons. And those variety of reasons being Shandy and Jack, neither of them were likable. No, they really weren't. I mean, I liked some of the funny stuff that Shandy did, but she could have been like a much smaller situation. And I really wish they had taken Roy and Keely on the journey of how to stick together through big life and career changes. You know, they were really onto something when Phoebe was telling them what it was all about, but they, they just let that go, that beautiful gift that they gave to themselves with Phoebe's take on what was going on for them. When Phoebe said, Uncle Roy, are you doing the right thing? Like, that could have been so amazing and so delicious and watching them go apart and kind of come back together. That could have been super romantic. Roy and Keely could have gotten engaged in Paris. I mean, really, there were so many things that they could have done and they just kind of went on this wheel, wild ride and go to a different place rather than sticking with what worked because they had the winning formula all the time. And like Dorothy, maybe she'll have that moment where Glinda said, and I know that there's so many Wizard of Oz references to this, and I don't know if this will actually happen because it doesn't seem exactly right. But Glinda tells Dorothy that She's had it in her the whole time and they've had it with them the whole time, the magic. Now that we're kind of back on track, 
I feel like we got robbed of some really beautiful potential arcs that we could have gone on in more depth with the original cast. One issue I take with the writer's, I guess, main point is that it was good because it's 30 minutes. Season two, a lot of episodes were 40-ish, and I didn't really have any issues with season two. Yeah, I don't mind the length so much as I don't like everything getting packed in there as like getting preachy. Like, I feel like they did that kind of on a little bit more of us in a subtle way. But having these episodes back to back, and why wasn't Keely involved in the Sam publicity thing? I'm kind of scratching my head about what they're giving us this season. And this was the episode where I kind of, those thoughts all coalesced in my mind because it wasn't my favorite episode. And I'm a little let down by, by where we're going right now. It's kind of ironic because for me, at least, my biggest worry was, are they going to stick a landing? Is the ending going to be satisfying? But now it's kind of shaping up to be the opposite. The journey for season three hasn't been satisfying. So can the ending make up for it? Maybe that means they have to give us a fourth season just to really make it good. And I know that they're having a big finale celebration here in Los Angeles in May. And I just wonder what that means. Are they wrapping it up? Maybe they're going to do a movie. Who knows? God, it feels so good to get this off my chest, though. Really, thanks for listening. We either just gained or lost a whole lot of listeners with this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I don't hate, I still love Ted Lasso. If they tell the story in the last four episodes the way they told the story in season one and two, and we have the strength, the speed, and the focus that those half-hour episodes had, and they are longer episodes, then I think that they have a good chance because really it's two episodes in one if they're going that long, you know? So if they take what they know and they give that to us, then I have some hope. But it's the hope that kills you. So who knows? So I can understand how it might seem like we're being a bit too harsh, but I think it's because we love the show that much. It's got 40 Emmy nominations for a reason. It's won 11 of them for a reason. We just think the show can do better. We still love the show. We're still diehard fans. We just want more of what they made us love. It's not, it's not our fault. We love the whole cast and we don't want to veer away from them. Hopefully you guys agree and can kind of understand some of the counterpoint to just saying everything is wonderful. We still love the show so much. So hope you're sticking with us. I want to hear what people think, though, about where we're headed. You know, I want our listeners and I want to see on the Ted Lasso is Life Instagram, like, how are people feeling? Well, that's a perfect segue for our new segment. Since we got our first ever reader question, we have, we've got mail. So Stephanie sent in an email. She said, hey, Kevin Crescent, I love listening to your podcast, especially now that my friends aren't caught up with Ted Lasso and I can't cause any spoilers. So I process with you. Well, Stephanie, we appreciate you joining us on this ride. Her question, do you think the four-point strategy is the writers toying with us? What is number four? Will there be a season four? And what do you think of Trent Crim's It Doesn't Even Matter What Four Is? Ooh, that's a really good question. I hadn't really thought about that, but it feels like, what's up with four? We don't know what's going on with the end, and they're just holding that out as some kind of a mystery phantom unknown. Yeah, that's a good point. The four and the total football strategy, as well as potential season four, very much nobody knows. 
Yeah, nobody knows. It's a mystery. I guess we're going to have to let go and trust because according to Ted, it's all going to work out. It may not happen the way you think it should or the way you hope it will, but it will all work out in the end. It's kind of interesting that he doesn't know what number four is, but he also knows what number four isn't. I think it's a lot easier to know what things aren't, but then coming up with something fitting for a number four, so much pressure. What's number four going to be? And also sometimes I think that you, like Ted said in a couple episodes, you have to leave some room for God to walk into the room. So my personal take is I don't think there'll be season four. And this is just my logical brain seeing all the different cast members getting booked for all these different projects. How the fuck is the scheduling going to work? I suspect that you're probably right about that. But it would be kind of great if they did a Ted Lasso movie. Well, as a joke goes, with the way these episodes are going, the finale is going to be like 90 minutes at least, if not two hours. Yeah, how long will the, will the finale episode be? Well, thank you, Stephanie, for sending your question. If you also have a question or comments or just feedback, feel free to send it to tedlassoislifepodcast at gmail.com. I've also included in the show notes for your reference. We can't guarantee that we'll address all the questions on there, but we'll definitely read them and consider them. Hit us up, folks. Ask us anything. And now it's time for our favorite part of the podcast, the awards. Chrisanna and I still both love the show and we're nice people. So each week we give out awards in a variety of fun categories. First up, MVP. MVP! MVP! My MVP this week goes to one Coach Beard for showing up to the West Ham game in full Richmond regalia. Good on you, Coach. Chrisanne's going to fucking hate me for this because I always tell her to just pick one for each award. So I'm going to hear it, but hopefully it'll be worth it. I'm giving a shared award to the Diamond Dogs as well as Rebecca because each of them gave Ted a valuable piece of advice that he really needed in this episode. Might even get into that later, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I almost picked Rebecca, but because you have hammered into me so hard only to pick one, I went with Coach Beard. Look, I'm growing. I'm evolving. I'm proud of you. Thanks, Kev. On the other end of the spectrum, the wanker of the week. Let's see what we got here. Wanker. And I feel like we probably have the same one. Jack, Jack, Jack. Though I did agree with Jack that mini golf is a way better way to spend your time than watching polo with a bunch of old white guys. The dinosaurs are less handsy. Yeah, Jack is such a wanker. So to count all the ways, the statement, having Barbara deliver it, canceling the event Keely really wanted to go to without asking her, telling her university classmate that Keely was just a friend. That was the Abyss Marquee reference for y'all. Shaming Keely instead of supporting her, and I think that's it, even though that was a lot. No, I think you covered it. So as I said in my meme, I don't think any of you want to hear me saying so, Chrisanne, you want to do the honors? Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? I'm on a Coach Beard streak. 
but I love the way he delivered his line. You think I wanted to fucking be there to May when she was telling them that they couldn't drink in the pub? Man, club loyalty is strong. But I love the way he said that line. It made me giggle. As I suspected, Chris Ann stole my award again, so luckily it came up with a backup. The guy who always calls Ted a wanker, I enjoyed it when he said, come on, fucking sing it. That was great. Oh, I loved that moment too. I thought it was lovely that he was in that scene. All right, well, I guess that you guys probably can already guess what I'm going to pick for the She's Fucking Fit Award. And I just want to shout out the Instagram account Welton Wears because they cover all of Rebecca's fashion. But this week, I love the Dolce and Gabbana cardigan Rebecca is wearing. And I love her Alexander McQueen really fuzzy slippers. But the cardigan, we're seeing full soft Rebecca in a cardigan. It's got these these beautiful lace cutouts on the shoulders. And even though it's black, it's definitely soft femme Rebecca who's taking her armor off. So she wins the award this week. Actually, all of her outfits in the the short time as she was actually in the episode were just spot on and soft Rebecca. Kudos, Jackie Levy. So much for your growth, huh? Well, I wax poetic. It's because Hannah wasn't really in this episode much. Gotta give her her due. It's a process. I'm a prog mess, Kevin. So am I. That's why we're a match. And now for the You're Gonna Make Me Cry award, What moment made you emotional, either happy or not so happy way? Well, when everybody sang Hey Jude and did the na, 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 I was just a waterfall. I was literally just singing and weeping and singing and laughing. So as much as we were hard on this episode and kind of season overall saying how there's kind of too much going on with new characters, even just one scene like this makes it a lot worth it. Beard explaining the whole song, too, is just so lovely to me. Now the... I've always funnier than Step Brothers. The word. Interestingly, there was nothing really funnier than Step Brothers in the episode for me, but I did feel like Jamie's Lynx collection was epic. I love the names. I want to smell like leather and cookies. It was a great callback to the pilot and smells like potential. And I have several other things that I really enjoyed, but... In honor of you, Kevin, and in service to my growth, I'm going to keep it at one. You really didn't laugh at, we didn't have a dog? I did laugh at that. I thought the whole Rebecca thing, I laughed at it. I feel like it was quieter laughs. It wasn't, you know, like I said before, the belly laughing that I'm so used to with the show. I also loved Beard's picks for the excursions. See, you're wrecking it. You're trying to get me to be bad again. You're getting me to fall off the wagon. I picked one. I'm sticking with it. Although I didn't laugh out loud, the concept was hilarious to me. Nate thought that the guy who won't let him call him by his first name most of the time thought that he was going to come to his meeting and share his feelings with everybody. Come on, bruv. Come on. Never going to happen. So as I teased at the beginning of the awards, calling back some of the other players that I mentioned before for Kevin's kick-ass line of the week. As we know, mental health is one of the many legacies that Ted Lasso, the show, will leave behind, and there were a lot of gems dropped in this regard. We had Trent saying, you can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet, then Higgins with the phenomenal, find out before you flip out, and Rebecca with, stop letting yesterday get in the way of today. Christian's just fucking fierce right now, like, 
I won multiple winners for many awards and she's just never going to hear the end of it. You're never allowed to tell me to pick just one again. All right, y'all. I'm going to smash a corner kick, hopefully not into Kevin's window. going to say, it's all right. I'm not drinking any tea right now. Okay, so my corner kick is about the song at the end of the episode, the, the French song that was playing when Ted was saying goodbye to Henry and Michelle. Its title is To Do To Do Small. I think that's the correct pronunciation, but it's actually a cover of the original song Come Softly To Me by the Fleetwoods back in 1959. And I looked at the lyrics because I wanted to check it out to see if it had any significance. And interestingly, there are two different songs, really. The original song is about, I want you, I love you so, please hold me so tight all through the night. I've waited so long for your kisses and your love. That's the American version. And the French lyrics translated into English. Life is amazing, very soft, very slowly, always gentle, very slow like that. Understand life. Never go too fast. You have all the time. Watch out for dynamite. Beware of the volcano to those pissed off people who don't know how to go very soft, very slowly. I was just like, oh my goodness. I don't know if the music supervisors picked the French version just because we'll never have Paris, but those lyrics really feel like what Ted would be feeling in his heart about Michelle's impending engagement or, you know, moving forward with, with Dr. Jacob. I thought that was really beautiful. And the, the song is fun and it's, you know, romantic, but in kind of those wistful yearning kind of way. So I felt like the song just captured that moment and the lyrics were just kind of a little extra cherry on top for me. That's the kind of stuff you'll find here with us. I feel like it's a thousand percent they picked the French version because of the episode title. Oh, for sure. And now it's time for Added Time. The final whistle is about to blow on this podcast episode. So we're giving you some final things that we thought were noteworthy. Did you notice all of the orange in the locker room? I thought that was maybe a little nod to Amsterdam because their kits are orange, yeah? And Henry's jacket was orange too, wasn't it? A lot of orange this episode. As a Canadian, I feel obligated to mention that there's also a Paris in Ontario, Canada. And I love that Beard came out with the Hall of Mirrors at Linderhof Palace in Germany, because if she agreed, I'd be surrounded by a thousand yeses. Of course, Beard has some really cool, obscure reference and a very romantic answer because he's Beard. Can I also call out Keely organizing her ice cream sprinkles on her glass coffee table the way that most people do drugs? I thought that was adorable. Speaking of Keely, she had a line at the beginning when her makeout session with Jack kept getting interrupted and she goes, there goes my boner, which I like to think was a continuation of last week's Just the Tip. Although we hate Jack, she had a really great line when she made the putt at mini golf and said, I learned to read a green before I learned how to read a book. Do you think that maybe they just have like a little space that they write each episode and they have to reference a musical in it? And they also called out a comet that was Valjean, the 24601. I thought that was lovely. And of course, you know, I Googled it. So last week with Sam's storyline, we mentioned that one of the inspirations was the real life English football players who had been racially abused. One of them who was Marcus Rashford. And that was the book that Ted was reading to Henry. 
one of the things that I really love was when Will was having Henry play a game, getting all of the chores in in the locker room down. I thought that was adorable because essentially that's really the way to win your parenting game. And I wonder if that was Henry doing all of those kicks with the soccer ball. Actually, Henry, if, or it was another small, very Roy Kent soccer talented young man, or if, uh, or if the actor that plays Henry did that. Well, the actor is actually not American and British, so. Oh, he's British. Wow. How did I not know that? Thank you. He does a pretty decent American accent. Props. I actually really thought Henry was good in this episode. I do have one more question. I know I've been asking so many questions this episode, but how did Nate get his neighbor to let him just go in and use his bathroom? Maybe he gifted them a nice decorated gift box for Christmas. One of my favorite parts of the episode was when May was reluctantly serving Henry and then Beard and Ted. That's the kind of stuff I want to see more of. 100% agreed. Club loyalty, man. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could follow, rate, and review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. Be like Ted and give us a 5-star certified fresh review. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward forward.